0: Lights, camera, action.
1: Welcome to Mixed Take, a world outspoken podcast where we discuss how the mixing of cultures and heritages in the U.S. influence film, television, and other forms of media and entertainment.
0: Don't be surprised to hear us laughing and geeking out over the movies and shows that we cover. We love Rocky Balboa. Yo, <laughs> We want to move our families to Wakanda. Wakanda, forever! And we have a dream. As Dr. MLK put it, we will one day live in a nation where we will not be judged by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character.
1: That's right. I'm Robert Rivera, and I'm joined by a co-host so cool that I always have to warn her, don't freeze like an antelope in headlights.
0: That's right. I am Dani Alisea, and today we're so excited to talk about the director of Creed Fruitvale Station, Ryan Kugler.
1: So sad. This is our season finale.
0: I know. It's like, it's been such a an, an awesome journey. This is episode six of our first season, yeah?
1: Yeah, that's right. Truncated season. <laughs> I feel like Mindy Kaling in that first season of The Office.
0: Hopefully Aww. we don't get canceled. Tears. We're going to have Michael Scott on at the end of the show, so That's stay right. with us. Just kidding. We're not. There's no Michael Scott. I apologize. <laughs> one day. One day. <laughs> All right. That leads us to our <laughs> quick takes. Take one.
1: Hey, before we dive into the life and works of Ryan Kugler, Donnie, what's your quick take on him?
0: Okay. So I have two quick takes on Coogler. Uh, one, his storytelling. I love that. He essentially highlights the fact that the the tragedy of one person really befalls an entire community of people. Um, so there's really no solitary, there's no isolation in tragedy. So that's the first thing that I really love about his storytelling and then the second is on the flip side of that coin he also has the healing and hope despite the difficulties that that life throws at us so it's like the the double-sided there's lots of tragedy but lots of hope so robert what's your quick take on ryan coogler
1: yeah mine is that ryan coogler strives to destroy black stereotypes on screen by fleshing out flawed Mm -hmm. characters with redeeming values
0: yeah and that's a lot of what we saw for us in episode four this season with ava duvernay that kind of Definitely. breaking down these stereotypes and fleshing out the whys of you know, decisions that, that people make. Definitely. Yeah. So that leads us to what we like to call the pre-production and runtime. And this is the part of the show where we explore the life and works of Ryan Coogler. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in.
1: All right, our guy, Ryan Coogler, was born in Oakland, California. Shout out to Callie, Woo-hoo. to a community organizer and juvenile hall probation counselor, both California State University graduates. Right. He grew up in Richmond and attended a private school despite living in a rough area. Ironically, he didn't feel like he fit in in either world. Mm. It's this in-between worlds reality that we continue to struggle with on Mixtape.
0: That Mestizo reality. Exactly. Yeah.
1: His dream growing up was to play in the National Football League, hmm. and he received a football scholarship to St. Mary's.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I, I love that uh, aspect about him, you know, that he's a uh, he's an athlete. Super cool. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. He ended up taking a creative writing class with a teacher that hated football, <laughs> and she asked him what he was majoring in. He told her pre-med and she challenged it and encouraged him to go into filmmaking because he was a talented writer. This voice from a very unlikely place changed the trajectory of his entire life. He went to USC for film school, which led to his first big screen film, Fruitvale Station. Donnie, what can you tell us about this film?
0: I mean, shout out to all the teachers out there that can literally change the course of their students' lives. My sister, she's a public school teacher here in Chicago. CPS? CPS all the way. And I know she's touched some lives. So how very cool for this teacher in California to have impacted Ryan Kugler's life so much. I mean, she could have judged him being a football player, you know, because there's you know stereotypes that go along with football players, but... Deep calls to deep and that teacher really drew out the deep in this this man.
1: Yeah, I want to know more about that that situation. I'm sure she did judge him as that and I'm sure that he would mm. it was a situation where he proved her wrong.
0: That's all, go ahead, Ryan. Tell us your story some more if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> but for, for those who are He's unfamiliar. <laughs> one day, one day. For those that uh, aren't familiar with Fruitvale Station, you can tune in or give it a watch on um, Netflix. It's it's available now. Mm-hmm. It was written and directed by Ryan Coogler. And wow. one of the standout things for me was that he had a female cinematographer, Rachel Morrison, and he had a Latina editor, um, Claudia Castello, which is, I think, um, I really appreciate when the directors that we've highlighted this season, they bring in different voices, they bring in different talent to add to and I think elevate the films that they create.
1: 100%. Wow, I love that. Bring in more diverse, different perspective Mm -hmm. voices to help elevate it for sure. On January 1st, 2009, Ryan Coogler was wrapping up a security gig in Frisco. Mm Mm-hmm. His friend informed him that there were delays on the BART, that's the Bay Area transit system, and that apparently somebody had been shot. This was a cold reality that Coogler grew up with until he actually learned the facts of what happened that night.
0: Mm. So a couple of the facts, and we don't want to give too many spoilers for those that haven't seen Fruitvale Station just yet and and do want to see it. Yeah, you know, because I I really do It was in the news. (laughs) If you haven't seen the movie yet, I really do think, I mean, it is, it's Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. Um. He plays the stellar role, but the the big themes that come out in the movie are police brutality and the injustice, injustice-ness, is that a word, of this system? It is now. It, it, it's, it's hard for, you know, this mestizo element that makes up who a black man in America is. And mm. the, the, how the system is so poised against Black and brown people, this movie just sheds light on the, the injustices.
1: Yeah, it, it's actually my understanding that the Oakland PD has struggled with racism and, and KKK mm. influence mm. within the force in the past. Mm-hmm. I heard that in an interview. And, and so it, it kind of uh, shines a light on, on kind of an ongoing problem.
0: And that would probably be all around the country.
1: That's right, not, you
0: know, Oakland. Cleaning that's, up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all over the place.
1: The, the need to clean up these these things. Yeah. Musicians make songs when something deeply impacts them. Coogler makes movies. Mm-hmm. The fact is Oscar Grant was about the same age as Coogler when he was shot. So that puts life in perspective as a young black man.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, black man. He was a black father, a black son and a black felon in the United States, roughly 80% of individuals who go to prison will go back. Mm. Again, the system is poised against these individuals. This being, you know, once you're a felon, it's hard to get jobs. It's hard to get credit. You lose relationships over that. So all the things that we would say, you know, our advantages that help us to move on in life, these men come out with, 10, 20, 30 steps behind the rest of us.
1: Yeah. I love the story of how this movie came to be. Kugler met Forrest Whitaker after film school, shared his idea for the movie, and Whitaker greenlit it on the spot. Mm. That's when he met Mike, as he calls him, Michael B. Jordan. We raved about Ava DuVernay and Mindy Kaling and how they were people who strove to empower others. We talked about how Guillermo del Toro, Alejandro Iñárritu, and Alfonso Cuarón supported one another. It's so important that we not only benefit from people speaking into our lives or walking along, alongside us. We need to do the same for others. And that's what discipleship is, in essence. These filmmakers are disciples. Mm. And speaking of discipleship, I think of Rocky Balboa to Adonis Creed.
0: All right, so moving on from Fruitvale to Creed. the this story, first of all for those of us who grew up in the 90s, Rocky is beloved. We're all Sylvester Stallone fans. So, you know, you go to Philly, there is a statue of this fictional character because he's such a huge, you know, icon. For, mm-hmm. for our generation, for our country. So to carry on the story was, I thought, super brilliant. So this yes. this story was uh, created by Kugler. He directed part one, again, brought on a female cinematographer and a Latina editor. Mm hmm. The scoring in all of his films was actually done by one of his classmates when, from when he was in, in grad school, Ludwig right. Goranson, which mm-hmm. is so, so cool. That's one of the things actually I love about higher ed. As a Latina, I'm a proponent of black and brown people going to school because it's not just about what you learn, but it's about the connections that you make, which, again, Kugler capitalized on this connection with Ludwig.
1: Again, f- drawing in somebody from a different background, a different culture, a different yo. perspective, and collabing—love it. Yo,
0: yo, these 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 Swedish uh, scores of films are killing the game. I mean, very very cool. I I yeah. love how how globalized the the world is. You know, you could that tap man. into the the artistic, creative genius all around the globe to create beautiful masterpieces like Creed. Oh, yeah. Another cool thing that we see in Creed, these long takes in the ring. Mm -hmm. And that was purposeful because it's really hard to get the authentic feel of a boxing match if you keep cutting in and out of takes. So they, I mean, they went through these things like it was a long dance.
1: I watched that like like I was watching a real fight.
0: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And we had the best seat in the house for that fight. You know,
1: I rewatched. No, actually, I forgot how it ended. But, yeah, I was... I was jumping up and down, watching that, and um, great job. Those long takes make you feel like you're, you're watching a real fight.
0: Yes. So for those of you that have not seen Creed 1 or 2, just as a premise, it continues or it follows the story of Rocky. Uh, Adonis Creed is the son of Apollo Creed, who dies mm-hmm. in Rocky 3. If you haven't seen that, and that's a spoiler, I apologize, for- but... Or Rocky IV, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you haven't seen Rocky IV and, and you didn't know that, I apologize. But it comes up in, in Creed. Yeah. Starring Michael B. Jordan, Tessa Thompson, Sylvester Stallone. Go out and see these movies. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful storytelling. What What, what did you think about it, Robert?
1: Oh, this movie punches you right in the gut. Pun intended.
0: <laughs> right, right, right.
1: Listen, Kugler managed to take a beloved franchise and create mm. a compelling Mm spinoff with a complex antagonist this was a risk this was a huge risk it's a beloved franchise the movie begins with the young adonis johnson Mm -hmm. in the juvenile detention center interesting right because his his mother worked in the juvenile hall okay Mm -hmm. we learn that he was the child of an affair that his father had uh, with his mother apollo creed was his father, right? And his father died in the ring, as you already mentioned, um, before Adonis was actually born. And later on in Adonis's life, his mother passed away. So he was orphaned and he had literally nobody. Mm. And another beautiful part of this story, out of nowhere, out of the goodness of her heart, Claire Hux, I mean, the widow of Apollo Creed who is played by Claire Huxtable? By, um, <laughs> I love
0: that, by the way.
1: <laughs> right, right. Her real name is escaping me. I know it too. But anyway, the widow of Apollo Creed stepped in and raised Adonis. Cooler came out swinging at the heart on this one. Mm-hmm. But this isn't merely a boxing movie. There's so many themes that we can glean from it. Donnie, I know. I know that you watched this movie with a very critical eye in a good way. And I know that you have a lot to say about it. What, what are some of the themes that really jumped out at you?
0: So Felicia Rashad is a.k.a. That's Claire it. Huxtable.
1: Felicia Rashad, yep. You,
0: you know, in our, our culture, women are having a harder and harder time getting pregnant. And so PCOS and things like that are a very real thing, something that so many women struggle with. So to see Felicia Rashad, aka um, Mrs. Creed, cut, step up to the plate and like adopt someone that was the product of her husband cheating on her mm-hmm. was so beautiful. There was there are so many redemptive themes just in that you know the the first it's like the first five minutes, but it's huge you know, and then it skips to adult life. But that we don't, I would.
1: It's like we don't know what's happening at first. So like, who is this lady, and how come?
0: Why is she going to see him? Yeah, and he thinks that she works for the juvenile detention center. He's like, "Aren't you a social worker?" And she was like, "Uh, scares me. Uh, (laughs) Scare me. (laughs) No, I am not." Um. So that was, I think, huge. I'm your new mommy. Right. And and like, how cool that he like just pressed into that as as he grew up. And
1: yeah, it was beautiful.
0: That was pretty pretty dope. Another huge theme that stood out to me was. The father-son dynamic, so Adonis being raised without his dad, his dad died before he was even born, and so all of the issues, the daddy issues, the insecurities that come along with that, and so throughout the movies, both one and two, we see Adonis, aka Donnie, come to a point where he realizes he is judging someone whose shoes he's never walked in he like had these preconceived ideas and many of them were not true which sheds light on like our perspective on life and how
2: mm-hmm.
0: we can be so incredibly wrong about something and it it's if we're not in community we're going to stay in that mindset because there's nobody around us to connect us to the truth of something and just an, like one of the huge reasons why christian community is so vital and important to the, the life and the health of a believer. Like if you are going Mm -hmm. this way, you don't have somebody saying like, Hey, you're walking towards a cliff. Hey, that's not, that's danger over there or whatever. You're just going to keep on going. So for him to have people come into his life, that new Apollo, you know, Sylvester Stallone, he just starts speaking truth into his life. He's like, I know your father would want to be here. I know your dad loves you.
1: He resisted at first too, right? Oh, one
0: hundred percent.
1: And and something the persistence I think of Adonis really really changed his heart. Mm-hmm. But when mm-hmm. he did it, it, it was almost a life a lifesaver, I would say, for Adonis.
0: Yeah, yeah. He 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 wanted, I think, a relationship with his dad, even though his dad was gone, and so he was reaching out and grasping for something. And thankfully, he found something. Yeah. Um, which was in Rocky and and Rocky provided that coaching, that mentorship and that discipleship, which, you know, he, he would teach him such great lessons about, I mean, he had already Donnie, you know, done the perseverance thing and the overcoming thing, but he had so much further to go. And then when he gets to the point where he realizes like, he's not a mistake, he is loved. He is valued. He is cherished even by his father who is now gone. It was pretty beautiful. Yeah. How about you? What did did you think?
1: Well, as you so eloquently highlighted, there are so many layers to this narrative. The harsh reminder of fatherlessness weaves its way through the story. Adonis is violent and feels alone. He struggles to trust. And when he feared for Rocky's life, he lashed out in anger over Rocky's words. And then he pushed Rocky away in jail uh, when he could have been bailed out. The thing is, Adonis is broken when we first find him. However, we also see redemption. Rocky steps in, and even though Adonis calls him Unc, and he calls Adonis mm-hmm. Donnie, as you, as you put it, Rocky is, I think, really a father to him. Mm-hmm. He fills that void that, that is gaping in Adonis's life. And throughout the movie, Rocky becomes the old sage in his life, the boxing version of Yoda, In the ring, he says, "Against you." I'm sorry. He says, "It's you. It's it's you against you." He's just in the way. Get out of the way. Hmm. And I would actually say that's the theme of this movie: is that the only one that is standing in Adonis's way of being successful, of making it, is Adonis. Everything else is, or I should say, the only one that that Adonis is is battling is himself everything else is just getting in the way
0: that that's like the andy minio song my enemy is me and even i can't stop me that's right it's like you can't stop me it's just the anthem to ourselves how we get in the way of of us so much of the time
1: i love how you bring andy minio into this podcast (laughs) shout out andy yeah Donnie. i know you were eating up the the rocky wisdom what stuck out to you
0: okay i just Oh, it was like over and over. There were these like amazing one-liners. Right. I one of my my dear mentors in my life is a husband and wife couple um, up in the northern suburbs, and Jim and Cheryl Stewart. They they've got these amazing one-liners that they always come out with. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, Rocky to Adonis is a discipler. There's yeah. there's one point where. Adonis is walking out to one of his boxing bouts and the whole time Rocky's hand was on Adonis's shoulder and Mm. he's just giving him like words of encouragement and like making sure he knows like what he's feeling is natural and what he's about to do is like he's about to triumph and, and do something really cool. So I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, Rocky, this this character development in, in these movies is just really beautiful. So Rocky-
1: Coogler um, did Rocky. He did, he did him right.
0: Oh my goodness. I mean, I have to think that Sylvester Stallone just applauded this young man's effort. The story, the writing. So for Rocky, time beats everybody. It's undefeated. He makes mm-hmm. sure that this young man knows- the realities of life and though we might have vitality and youth on our side, it doesn't last forever.
1: Like James says, life is a mist. It's a vapor
0: oh, here and gone. Absolutely. he talks about hard work and perseverance and persistence. And mm. in, in one of their training sessions, he says to Adonis, you see this guy here here staring back at you. That's your toughest opponent. Every time you get into the ring, that's who you're going against, which is what you referred to earlier. Mm -hmm. He also says later, you can't learn anything when you're talking. It's a fact of life. As long as you're talking, you're not listening. So another bit of wisdom from James is be quick to hear, slow to speak and Mm -hmm. slow to anger. Which is so difficult to do, especially when you feel like you have an opinion or you have a right or something like you know, we're very American, so it's like I have a right to be heard. And it's like, ah, but so do other people. So I thought that that was really cool. And this quote is literally something that I tell myself all the time. Literally all the time. He says one step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time. And when I'm feeling, like, overwhelmed, I literally think of this particular quote, which is so crazy.
1: That's why you punched me the other day. (laughs)
0: Look. I was like,
1: what was that for?
0: You got in the way, Um, (laughs) bruh. But, like, that idea of, you know, today's got enough concerns of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be so focused on, you know, what to focus on, what's right in front of you.
1: Rocky Um, wasn't just teaching him how to be a good fighter. No. He was teaching him how to be a man.
0: Yes. Yes. good
1: person. Absolutely. How to be the best Adonis that he can be.
0: Yeah, because he's not just there in training or at the rings. He's there when in the hospital when they give birth. He's there when Adonis is going to propose.
1: That's a s- spoiler to Creed 2, by the way.
0: <sighs> Sorry, guys. Oh, it's just so good.
1: <laughs> it's fine.
0: So Rocky is there for these big moments in Creed's life. It's not just the training and all that stuff, but donnie literally moves in with rocky and they see each other day in and day out through the difficulties of relationships yeah. and love and all the questions that donnie has just about life in general man yeah so those are those are some of my my highlights mm-hmm. of rocky and and the wisdom that he sheds okay wait i have a question for you robert with yeah, oh, okay so one of the things rocky says is to donnie let me ask you something what if it ain't okay And this is this is a a precursor to Creed 2. But what are your thoughts on that? Like as a Christian, life doesn't go your way. Um, Something happens to your kid or you lose your job or something like that. Like what is the the knowledge that you've gained in life, the rocky wisdom that you've applied to, to your life of what if it ain't okay?
1: I think it forces us to have a a bigger picture and a bigger perspective on life. The thing is, you know, and I just, I've had my head in in James four and five recently Mm. and thinking about the idea that life is temporal, our riches are temporal and even our suffering is temporal. So this idea, what if it ain't okay I have to look at it from a bigger perspective because I have my hope is an eternal hope that's based in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So therefore my, my outlook and my perspective is different. Mm -hmm. If it ain't okay on this earth, I know that all I have to do is be patient because it's going to be okay one day. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, let me just for, for one second, step back, and and think of um i heard in ava duvernay that um things aren't happening to you they're happening for you i may have butchered mm. that that quote
0: That's still good. but
1: but the other part of this is even in our life when things aren't going well why aren't they going well to quote bruce wayne's father thomas wayne he says why do you fall so that you can learn to pick yourself up mm. so you can learn how to get up mm-hmm. and so if it ain't okay then that's an opportunity, I think, for us to learn how to persevere and how to rise above it personally in our life, in our faith. And as, again, to go back to James, those trials help strengthen us.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. I don't know. What were you thinking on that?
0: Bruh, you just summed it up. I got no more thoughts. (laughs) That's it right there. That's absolutely beautiful. What if it ain't okay? You just threw that
1: question at... Man, that's not fair. You can't just throw those <laughs> deep questions at me.
0: Our producer is looking at me like, y'all got to move to Black Panther or else you ain't going to have... It ain't getting in the show. I. So what yeah. if it ain't okay? You know, life is so full of disappointment and, and struggle and pain. And that is entirely what we see in all of Coogler's films. We see yeah. imperfect characters. We see complex situations we see the overcoming, perseverant, you got to figure stuff out because it ain't okay. Yeah. That's just the human journey, I think. And because we have um, you know, a Christian perspective and a Christian lens, for us we have the eternal hope of of Christ and and that this isn't the end of the story. Um, which is quite beautiful. Because if this is all that there is, that would be tragic, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's what Paul says. He's like, yo, if this is all y'all got, then y'all better live it up because good night. If we're doing this thing and it's not real, then oh my, you know. So exactly. yeah. um, yeah, what if it ain't okay? I mean, likely it's not going to be okay. So let's cling to Jesus, cling to the cross. And man, heaven awaits. I can't wait. We're going to party. We're going to have the dopest podcast in heaven. We're going to talk about like hymns. I'm just playing. We're going to still talk about movie making, I think, in heaven. There's got to be like great storytelling. Maybe. I'm just saying. So Kind of out there.
1: I'm not going to say yay or nay. I don't want that uh, to follow me for the rest of my career.
0: (laughs) Okay, lead us into Black Panther rap.
1: Coogler's last film compels me to ask one question. Is this your king? Nah. I'm your king. Okay, that wasn't that good. Sorry.
0: <laughs> I wonder if we could get the real quote from the movie.
1: That is a real quote.
0: Nah, I'm sorry. Uh, Like <laughs> Killmonger oh, 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 oh. actually doing it. You mean the soundbite. <laughs> the soundbite. Thank you. <laughs> that would be super dope. I don't know if it's legal, but. Anywho, Black Panther. I love the story that is told um, of these two cousins of this technologically um, advanced world. Black Panther, Wakanda forever. About the film, this was written mm-hmm. and directed uh, by Ryan Coogler. Again, brought in a female cinematographer, Rachel Morrison, for this one, starring Michael B. Jordan and right. Chadwick Boseman. Mm. And it, it again, just tells the story of kind of this fictional world, if y'all haven't seen this, called Wakanda. (laughs) Imbakbe! And the plight of people with this technologically advanced civilization and what is their, what do they owe, if you will, to the world?
1: They're not just technologically advanced. It feels like another planet.
0: Oh, that is so true. Everything about Wakanda. Yeah. It felt there's you know a part where there's kind of the aerial view and it felt very Star Wars to me like flying yeah, playing into for an sure. alternate yeah planet world city for I sure know.
1: like there there's that, that that shot in Oakland where the kids look up and they they see like this this UFO yeah no that's just that's from Africa
0: straight up that was pretty though oh man
1: well listen by the time Coogler was called to direct Black Panther. Chad, as he called him, Chadwick Boseman, who sadly passed away this year. That was one of the tragedies that, that we grieved in, in 2020, for sure. He had already been cast as Black Panther in the, movie Civil, in the movie Civil War. It's disappointing to not cast your lead. But when he saw Chadwick, he knew that he had been given a gift. Kugler also knew that they would need a really strong villain to go against his really mm. strong lead. He immediately, just like many other directors have their guy, Mm -hmm. he immediately knew it was Mike, Mm -hmm. Michael B. Jordan. And thank goodness. Michael B. Jordan is not only the sexiest man alive, according to Vogue and my wife, or I don't know that for sure. He's one of my favorite actors. So it's okay. In my house, it's okay. Bring him on the screen. He's one of my favorite actors. The Black Panther sets did look like, they look like sets. They lacked the grittiness of Fruitvale Station and Creed. Um, But I actually, I sympathize with Kugler on this.
0: You know, I was, I was disappointed. Yeah. Because, you know, one of like the first times we see Black Panther in action, it's Mm -hmm. like supposed to be a forest, but it felt very Mm set-like. So it was like, oh, this is just our first time seeing him like, be awesome and it was obviously a set and then the the next time we see them um kind of a shootout in in asia i think it was korea or, or japan something like that mm-hmm. but again everything just felt very like set ish and so mm-hmm. i was just uh, looking like re-watching it you know the first time the you sky
1: see it, in the background in wakanda I, I get I get it. You know, I I hadn't thought about it much until again. Me too. Rewatching it, the yeah. caves that they're in.
0: Yes. Even all where of they them.
1: battle, they battle for 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 the throne. That oh, waterfall there also yeah. looked like.
0: You're right. That? This totally. All of it felt very artificial. It's like eating fruit versus like an artificial sweetened something. And so it was just like, oh, I was longing for for the freshness and the the realness that we just didn't get.
1: Yeah 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 i can get past that though okay listen he both wanted to push the the cultural and technological boundaries of this film and he felt the pressure of making a successful disney and marvel movie especially with its cultural significance and the mcu's track record yeah he doesn't want to be the first bomb he doesn't want to be the first one to to mess this thing up yeah and like i said i think that the brightness of the movie because it could have it could have used some, some a, a darker uh, color pla- palette, I think.
0: Oh, sure, sure. A
1: grittier, but yeah. it has to fit in the MCU, and I, I I'm pretty sure he doesn't have full control over all of, all of those things.
0: Yeah, like the artistic um, control has to start and stop somewhere. Because you're right, it is a universal movie, so I agree.
1: I also love that the man that gave him his start force, Whittaker, appeared mm. in the film.
0: That's pretty dope. nice
1: deceptions oh wait that's the wrong movie that's rogue one (laughs) on top of all that coogler was influenced by movies growing up where denzel washington will Mm -hmm. smith wesley snipes were the three Mm -hmm. that he could remember the three a-list black actors that could sell a movie in the 90s yeah you know those are the three guys the three you could put as the main name and they're gonna sell a movie
0: he left out uh, eddie murphy Eddie Murphy was pretty big in the nineties.
1: The nineties or eighties?
0: Eighties. No, 90s. he was. Yeah, you're
1: right. he had he had some some nineties hits. Uh huh. For sure too, as well.
0: Yeah. Hmm. But maybe he wasn't so much. Well, these are like more action know, you know and not so much comedy. So maybe he was yeah. more of like an action moviegoer.
1: Yeah. Maybe this was a more action. Yeah, you're right. He dreamed of a movie where he could see these two A-listers go head to head in a movie. Like he said, for whatever reason, we never got to see a Denzel versus Will Smith or Wesley Snipes versus Denzel or any of mix any of those two guys together go head to head. Yep. Black Panther was his chance to make that movie,
0: Mm. putting
1: Chadwick versus Michael B.
0: Yeah. And again, like, you know, we've talked about this several times on the show, but how It's hard to get one brown person in a movie or a show, let alone two. There's, like, that competitive thing of, like, okay, we've got the one, so we're good. Now we can cast all the people that we know or like to work with or familiar with or whatever. And it's like this young man comes on the scene and he's like, listen, we're about to change everything. We're about to walk onto this bad boy up. That's right. Absolutely loved it. Oh, man. I think one of... Yeah, one of the, the themes that stood out to me re-watching Black Panther was the fact that Michael B. Jordan seemed a lot like Malcolm X yeah. and Chadwick Boseman seemed like MLK. Like they're, they're trying to approach the same problem but in two very different ways. So one was more fight and resist. That would be Killmonger played by michael b jordan and then the other is negotiate and resist a bit more diplomatic which is the king of wakanda
1: okay so here's here's the brilliance of the of the storytelling here and i understand that ryan coogler didn't create these characters they're from the comics right right but i thought the way he wrote killmonger is perfect because Uh there are many times where i thought to myself wow he's got some really great points oh yeah he he's pointing out the fact that people of African de- descent all over the world are going through suffering and going through pain, and Wakanda stands back and does nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Step doesn't step up. Now his solution is arm them with weapons and let them take over. Right and fight. Wakanda Wakanda become the, the, the center of an empire. Mm-hmm. So that part, obviously, I would say was is wrong.
0: Yeah, but- it's it's very Darth Vader.
1: But he definitely is calling out the passivity, mm-hmm. you know, the sin of omission.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If the a- people of African descent are the person in, in, in the prod—I'm uh, sorry—in the, in the Good Samaritan story who was beat up, mm-hmm. then Wakanda was like the religious man and and all those people who knew better walk, that walked past and did nothing.
0: Mm. It's hard when your sense of justice looks different or your sense of rightness looks different than somebody else's and is so other. Like for Jesus to help a stranger like that is, was other. It's like, why would I help this person that I don't know? Or what, you know, whatever it is. So it's like the, the different perspectives that these two in the movie had. And again, the, like you pointed out the fact that it's not an easy, like, Oh, Killmonger, he's just bad. It's like, no, he has some great insights and great thoughts about this and has fought really deeply or he's thought really deeply about these things and has trained himself so that he can actually bring these solutions to the world. It's just how he wanted to do that was just so violent.
1: I think behind Thanos, Killmonger is the best Marvel villain that we've seen on screen.
0: Oh, Winter Soldier would be... uh, would be up there he's, for me.
1: Okay. I, I
0: know he's kind of like a protagonist and an antagonist yeah. like at the end, but yeah, I, I would I would go with Winter Soldier from, from my, I'm a Bucky fan, so.
1: The film industry is behind in terms of diversity and this is why we're celebrating these filmmakers. Think of sports. Long are the days when, when people would boycott a sport for starting a player of color. And yet studio execs are nervous to green light big budget films with ethnically diverse leads as you've mentioned on other podcasts. Making this movie was a cultural awakening for Kugler, a realization of the mixed culture of an African-American. He actually visited a few countries in Africa in preparation for this film. One place that he visited was the kingdom of Lesotho, financially poor, but culturally rich. Mm. He sees African-Americans as a lost tribe. And one thing, one last thing, Kugler wrote some really strong female characters. Mm-hmm. He considers Ava Duvernay like a sister. And I, I can only imagine that she's had an impact on him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you know that they worked across the hall from each other as they worked on Black Panther and A Wrinkle in Time? Like their doors are right across the hall from each other. Yeah, that's pretty You know, dope. they met at S- Sundance. Ava feels like they're kindred spirits. Um, He has a deep respect for her and he would love to work with her someday. One critique uh, that I heard from Dr. Ashish Varma from Moody Bible Institute on a podcast was um, that there was a UN scene where uh, a UN UN member basically asked the question of what could Wakanda offer the world? Mm -hmm. And us, the audience, we know that they're a technological force now. It's kind of implying that only countries with riches and technology have something to offer the world, and it overlooks a lot of the culture that Wakanda could actually offer.
0: I don't actually see that as a negative, only because there's no one culture that is elevated above another. Every culture mm-hmm. has something to offer the world. No, definitely. So it's. An, I don't think it was like, oh, y'all don't have anything to offer us because you know whatever i think it was just like okay if you're talking about solving some of the world's issues you better come with either some resources or knowledge to address the issues like yeah culture is embraced but yeah so i didn't i didn't think it was yeah. like a negative thing towards wakanda i thought it was just sure. like a but what solutions are you bringing to the table
1: yeah it's an interesting point i think that is good to think about as we as we watch the movie but you know with that said i still really have fun with this movie it's it's uh if it's the tone of the mcu and it's still one of my favorite mcu movies
0: Faux show. so robert have you ever watched a movie and wondered what it would Mm -hmm. have looked like in the hands of another director yes or maybe you wonder how your favorite director would have directed any given film yes awesome Because that leads us to our next segment called Deleted Seed. Okay, I'll stop. (laughs) So, is there a movie out there that you would like to have seen Ryan Coogler direct?
1: Yes. Well, he has a football background. I would love to see him do a football (gasps) movie. Okay and something like remember the titans
0: yes that deals yes.
1: with cultures colliding and having to work together all day maybe a public school in in oakland or something i don't know just find a good story he's like i just want to see him bring football to the screen
0: bruh yes okay so there's a show on netflix called last chance you absolutely love it because it's basically that idea of these um football players are at these like local community colleges trying to make it get signed to like a d2 d1 yeah um, but it's that like remember the titans feel sort of mm-hmm. but it's documentary style i think this is a genius idea and ryan coogler i hope you stumble on this podcast please do this movie that would be so dope because i mean i, that's I love Washington. Football movies. oh my goodness in every way Yes. Great thought. Okay, for me, Ryan Coogler, since you're listening, I would really like to see you write and direct Creed three. And Take it, it back. Yes. And, it I mean, you can do Mr. T's son, him fighting Mr. Mm. T's son. That would be kind of cool. But I would prefer, actually, that um, Adonis fight a Mexican or a Latino boxer. Because okay. boxing is huge in the Latino world, and in the original Rocky series, there are no Latinos that Sylvester Stallone fights, which is so unrealistic, because Latinos are at the top of the boxing food chain. So, yeah. it would be great for Donnie, Like too. the son
1: of De La Jolla or somebody.
0: Exactly. It's like, oh, this would be so dope. And to bring in some of the Latino culture, because everything Kugler touches is gold. Like, yeah,
1: because Creed does fight in Mexico, right? But we just we don't get a whole lot of. No, of it's that.
0: it's p- pretty it much like backroom yeah. bar brawls, and it's like he's just smashing everybody. That would that. be
1: that would be great if Creed, yeah, right, had a had to go into a, a cross culture and fight. No, I would love that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's dope. In, in in 2, please people watch Creed 1 and 2, but in 2 we see him start to train kind of in the desert and it's a lot of Latino fighters. So maybe even bringing one of those people to like, oh, we trained together and now we bought the box, you know.
1: Yeah. I wonder if he'll return to Creed. He's he's uh he's in that Black Panther uh, cult now.
0: Oh, man. I really hope he does. Because, I mean, there's two. You need a trilogy. Like, It's all set up. It's in the queue for it. So that's what I hope. All right. So that leads us to our final part of the show that we call post-production. What is post-production? This is where we go beyond the film and give our final takes on Ryan Coogler. We'll either give you our personal takeaways or how he has influenced the entertainment world. So, Robert, kick us off.
1: I struggle with the lack of nuance and polarization and conversations around justice and racial equality. I'm sure that you are as well mm-hmm. because of the lack of nuance, these like justice have become buzzwords and triggers. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that Ryan Coogler attempted and I, and I believe succeeded in Fruitvale station mm-hmm. to really tackle this. He, he was trying to paint a complete picture of this man because he saw that Oscar Grant had become uh, politicized when he was murdered. To some, Grant was an activist, a symbol, and a martyr. To others, he was a thug, a criminal, a felon, and a drug dealer that had it coming to him sooner or later. I'll never forget when somebody close to me once said, and and I believe it was about Laquan McDonald, if I'm not mistaken. He said, if he wasn't killed by the police, he would have been shot in the streets anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's why these movies are important, because without that, we lack nuance in, in the way that we think and and, and we come to very racist or hmm. pre- prejudiced views, right? Without nuance, we come to the most heartless and godless conclusions about the sanctity, the sanctity of human life. Hmm. Say what you will about Oscar Grant, but he was a son, a partner, and a father. In the blink of an eye, those three ladies lost a man that they Love dearly, despite his glaring shortcomings.
0: And you know what's amazing is how often I will have conversations with people that I know and love, and they'll say shocking, racist things like this. And, yeah. I, and I am almost baffled at the fact that somebody would not only believe those things, but say them. I'm like, oh my goodness, this thought still pervades in our world. It persists and how, how heartbreaking and how, how devastating.
1: Oh totally, I I, I totally agree with that. You know, I was talking with our producer Michelle, and uh, she shared with me a post that she came across in social media. Michelle, can we pull back the curtains and and let Michelle in?
0: Yes, it's like seeing the the
1: Wizard Wizard of Oz. Oz. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Pay no attention to that woman behind the curtain.
2: I'm here, and I wanted to share um, that I saw this post about racial trauma. And it really shocked me and moved me in many ways because I see how it relates to immigrants and it relates Mm -hmm. to every minority in the country. Racial trauma, it affects how we... View the world. It uh, racial trauma also affects how even children grow up. But the thing that shocked me the most was how it affects the way we dream and look at the future. Mm. Like we stay mm. so long in the in the survival mode that we stop dreaming and looking wow. at the future with hope. Mm. And I see how the justice movement. And, and I know it comes from the heart of God, but even these movies and these directors that bring their their storytelling, they help see that it's not just the stereotypical person that is just whatever we want to call it, and, and box a person in. But we also need to recognize, hey, there's a lot of layers in here. There's also things that are even beyond our awareness that we mm-hmm. deal with. And yeah, that is that is something that I share when we were preparing for this episode.
1: Yeah. No, that's really good. They're not one-dimensional thugs, you know. They're, they're a complete person. Donnie, you, you worked in youth ministry as well, urban youth ministry. I and mean, we, we met people. We met kids who other people would have looked at and said, oh, that kid's a thug. And mm-hmm. we're like, we know that kid. You know, mm-hmm. Okay, struggles, but there's so much value to this person that mm-hmm. others aren't seeing. Thanks Michelle.
0: Yes, thank you. Trauma, trauma is so ah man. Definitely. the the deep rootedness of how it can impact and yeah. and change our not wow. just our lives, but our families and our communities. No,
1: definitely. Wow.
0: Thank mm. you. I would say my post production thought And Coogler, two things. One is everything this man touches is gold. Like some people's filmography, you look and you're like, what's that? This dude has hit banger after banger. I mean, he's like the Michael Jackson.
1: After banger, (laughs) and then we'll see what he does next.
0: (laughs) I think he's going to keep it going. I really do. He's literally the Michael Jackson of the directing world.
1: Yeah, he goes, Michael, take your pick. Jackson, (laughs) Tyson, Jordan, game six.
0: Right. There you go. I think the other thing that I have a question about is in Creed, I think it's Creed one where there's a scene with Adonis and Rocky and Rocky just says some like hurtful things to Adonis. And he's like, you know, we're not family. And because um, Rocky has had some trauma Um, And some tragedy befall him. And so what happens? You know, you push people away Mm -hmm. and then you hurt those around you. You know, hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. So Donnie bears the brunt of that. And then he kind of lashes out the way he would have when he was back in juvenile hall. He starts fighting at Bianca's show with the headliner and all that stuff. And then he goes to, he gets locked up for, you know, just jail. But it made me think, are there... Are, are people who are raised in the system, you know, they go from foster home to um, group homes, Are is there a point at which they are so institutionalized that there is no going back? It's like this is just how they respond to heartache and hardship and trouble. They're just going to fight and lash out. This is always going to be their outlook on people. It's going to be very negative, not like a positive look, but it's, you know, almost like a defensive type of thing. So that's my question is, is there a point at which you can't unlearn things that are just ingrained in you?
1: Man, that's a hard one, right? I mean, it goes back to, I think what Michelle brought up with trauma. There's some deep, some deep seated stuff there that I think therapy is necessary and, mm-hmm. and confronting some of those things. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that, to that question. I would like
2: to think that, yes, it's, it's possible to, to be rescued, to be healed. I believe that's in the core of what the gospel is.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yet, I also have very real stories of people in my life that I wonder what is going to happen with them. Uh Uh (laughs) And I want to say, like, I I don't want anything to do with him. But then also I wonder, like, what about his soul? What about his relationship with God? I know he knows the Lord. God, Uh what the heck?
0: Exactly. And I think we all have that family member or that neighbor or friend or schoolmate or something like that where it's like, yo, this and that led me to this question of like Killmonger. He it's in his name. He is a killmonger. And then we have Donnie, who, you know, reverts back to he kind of just fighting. It's like you're natural. Like when when the tough gets going, it's like I am just going to what's my default button? And Absolutely, like we believe in the power of the gospel and that the Lord can change. But I just, I wonder.
1: And Oscar Grant too. This is the theme of his oh, of his movies.
0: Absolutely. You, Thank you, you.
1: I think of Ava DuVernay and I think of When They See Us. Well, let me be more specific. I think of the Oprah special when
0: yeah.
1: the real guys were, were being interviewed and you can still see brokenness. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to say
0: it. And they say the system broke stuff in me that ain't never going to be fixed.
1: So, yeah, that's why it's hard to answer that question. Of course, we we understand that the power of God is stronger than than Mm -hmm. all things. Right. So let me say at the very least, the healing process seems like it'd be a a very long and Mm -hmm. hard road. Yeah. And that's what breaks my heart about about incarceration Mm, mm -hmm. and
0: um right it's not a system of correction
1: especially those who who are in there for minor offenses or Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who are unjustly put in there Mm
0: -hmm. and and
1: now they're broken
0: yeah we call it the corrections system but there's no correction that happens right you go in and you come out worse
1: this is supposed to be the fun episode by the way
2: it's too hard to. <laughs> there's another layer that I wonder a lot, and mm-hmm. it has to do with a lot of things that are going on in the Christian circles right now, and is repentance. Mm-hmm. How do you know one person is truly repentant or not? Mm-hmm.
0: And it's it, it's impossible to know. Only God
2: knows. And how can you, because and how do you deal with them? And and there's this other side of people that says you need to make them pay for what they've done and this even these people that say well we're just gonna like beat him up and see if he learns his lesson or we're just gonna kick him out of this organization and we're not gonna have him anymore in any kind of ministry any kind of leadership Mm. and I wonder how are you even a leader in, in in leading people in that kind of restoration
0: Right. That isn't restoration. That's just judgment. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, that's so hard. I don't envy the pastoral role. I don't envy the church leadership role because you're right. Knowing how to entrust your congregation around, you know, people that are, you know, they profess Christ and they say that they're repentant and but then they keep going back to this, that, or the other thing. And then they confess and repent and then they go back and you know, the cycle. I, I, I am grateful. That is not my
2: calling.
1: Sometimes it's not pastoral. Sometimes it's a family member though.
2: Oh, true. And I've said, if you're going to beat him up, then you need to beat me up too.
0: And did you get beat up? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but that breaks me because Every time I want to say yes, let's beat him up, mm. I cannot refrain from that thought. Of, yes, mm. I, mm. I deserve the same beating. Mm.
1: Now I'm trying to imagine Michelle beating somebody up.
0: <laughs> well, unfortunately, this brings us to our end credits. Thank you so much for those that have journeyed with us through this first season. We have gone through the, the darkness of Guillermo del Toro. We've gone mm-hmm. through the, the beautiful storytelling of Alejandro Iñárritu. We've been to outer space with Alfonso Cuarón. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been to the south and, and seen some really powerful storytelling about Racial Injustices and Police Brutality from Ava DuVernay. And then again from today from Ryan Kugler. And we've seen some really cool, funny things from um, Mindy Kaling, but also some really serious things and how to use comedy in a way that you're able to talk about real life issues. So again, thank you for journeying with us through this first season. Yeah, We're super excited definitely. and already planning for season two. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Mixed Take. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us five stars on wherever you listen to this podcast. Also, head over to worldoutspoken.com, a site preparing the Mestizo Church for cultural change, where you'll find information on consulting services, thought provoking blog posts, and other great podcasts such as The Feature, Questions from the Pew, and the one and only Mestizo Podcast, the show for the mixed people of the mixed church. Check out the article on bad mothering by Doctora Itzel Reyes on the double standards mother's face in raising their children.
1: Yes. Special thanks to our producer for
0: whoop whoop. pulling back
1: the curtain. Yes. Michelle Perez. Also to Emmanuel Padilla and the entire World Outspoken crew.
0: We hope you join us again as we continue to dive into the world of culture-influencing content creators. Until next time.
1: Cut. It's a wrap.